series of messages called Rock and Soul. And if you wouldn't mind, stay standing up on your feet. Uh, this series is based out of Psalm 23. And this is the sixth week uh, going through this, this amazing passage. If you miss any of them, all the messages are available at our website, freshlife.church, on the app. Uh, on that note, hello to everybody at Church Online. In addition to our campuses, uh, we're really glad to have you uh, wherever you are. And it's amazing that wherever God takes you, especially throughout the summer months, a lot of people coming and going, that there's always that church online to jump in on. And uh, we just love that so much. But Psalm 23 is the passage of scripture that's really anchoring our hearts. We believe that there is a, an inward tranquility that's possible that releases an outer stability and that, that sta stabilizing influence of God's spirit, no matter what terrain you're going over, it can absorb that. It can put shock absorbers on your heart. And uh, so good. Psalm 23, uh, we're gonna put it up on the screen. We've been beginning each of the talks by saying it out loud. And I did it from memory last week, so I'm just gonna read out of my Bible this week, old fashioned, I know. Uh, but here's what it says, and you can read it out loud with me, then you'll be seated. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Come on, celebrate it. Because God is going to speak something new to us. And we, we invite you back next week because we're really uh, preparing something brand new to celebrate the beginning of summer. We invite you to be with us at Fresh Life next week. Uh, but this week in the Rock and Soul series finale, we're going to circle back on this verse right here. And I'm going to read it out loud one more time. You don't need to read it. Then, then you're going to be seated. I know I already said it. You're like, you told me a minute ago. I can say, what's your problem? I'm going to stay standing the whole time. All right, give it a break. All right, so check this out. This is the last verse, but before I, I read it, and I, I don't need you to say it, I just, I want you to savor it. I don't want you to gulp it down, right? This isn't, you know, bad medicine or something. Ah, gosh, plug my nose. No, this is something to be, uh, to be enjoyed and to really uh, get all the flavors out of. So let, let this really hit your palate. Surely goodness, David says, and mercy, two good things, shall follow me all, not some, all the days of my life and I will dwell, permanence, in the house of the Lord forever, eternity. Jesus, speak something new to us. Save those who are perishing. Wake up those who are sleeping. Give courage to the faint-hearted. We pray in your name. We all said together, amen. Come on, three high fives before you hit the seats. Thank the worship team at your location for leading us in praise. Come on, let's thank the worship teams together. Who's thankful for our worship teams? Yeah, me too. And uh, I'm thankful for every single impact team all across our church who serve every week. What, you're only going to clap for the worship team? What about the rest of those dang teams? You lazy bums. I'm just playing. 
This has been such a helpful time for me. Has Psalm 23 and the Rock and Soul series encouraged you? I feel like every week God speaks something new. I feel like every week God's just been challenging me. And, and I really think in this, in this last installment, this final message, uh, there's something profound that God has for us. I'm calling this message the best for last. Because that's how God works. That's how he rolls. Always, if you know this about God, just know part of his program is uh, he saves the best for last. That's what he does. Um, the devil's the exact opposite. You want to understand the devil? Just know he always gives you the best first. So whatever he gives you, that's always, that's always as good as it's going to get. You see a picture of this in Proverbs 20, verse 17, which talks about stolen bread. It says, bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man. Man, that tastes delicious. But afterward, his mouth will be filled with gravel. Solomon was saying, crime don't pay. Right? He, was, he was channeling his, uh, his dog, McGruff, from our childhood. Child of the 80s, anybody else? Crime doesn't pay, right? Take a bite out of crime, all that stuff. So, so um, basically, he's saying, like, you steal bread. That, that's amazing. It starts out amazing, mmm, bread. And then not so good when it's like uh, you have the right to remain silent. You know? So Satan rolls that way. He, he blesses you up front, and then it bites in the back, where God, oftentimes, when he works, it starts out small. It's rough in the middle. But Frank Sinatra was right. The best is yet to come. Do you believe that our God saves the best for the end? That's what David is saying here as he brings up the idea of heaven. We're always meant to keep this idea of heaven because the worst that can happen in this world is that you would die. And I realize there are very difficult things. There are very dark valleys that can happen that can feel very horrible. But no matter what, if you're a child of God, you have to look forward to this wonderful promise of the restoration of all things. And that truth should skip like a stone across the water of your heart, ringing out into eternity forever and ever and ever and ever. The idea is no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, you can always wake up every day and no matter what, whether I'm in the small beginning or the rough middle, I believe the best is yet to come. That's what David has to say at the end of this chapter. The end, how, like him, how like him? To use the last verse to tell us that when God works, the, the, the best is always saved for last. But there are some, there are some warnings implicit. And I don't generally speak in the negative. Um, you'll find that my, 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 uh, my points or if I have kind of an emphasis or kind of a sermon in a sentence I want you to take or a big thought, it's not usually a negative thing. And I think that's just because, uh, I don't know about you, but I feel like many of us grew up and all we ever got out of church was what not to do. Don't do this, don't do this. Like, okay, great. Well, I'm busy not doing those things. I'm going to have a lot of time on my hands. So what in the world do I do? You know what I'm saying? And I, I speak uh, most oftentimes, my, my attempt, my effort is to speak in, in a positive way with something, what do we do then? And, and I believe that's God's primary heart. He gives imperatives and actions and, and all of that. But, but I couldn't help but feel like there were some warnings for us in order to get the most out of a God who always saves the best for last. Does that make sense? So what I did was I wrote down five different things that you are probably not going to want to do because of what we find in this passage that is so powerful. So if you take notes in church, jot this down. Don't ever put a period where God has a comma. Wow. Don't ever put a period 
where God has a comma because he always saves the best for last. So if right now in your life you have been dealt a hand that feels a lot like a period, just remember there's a purpose in it. Just remember there's more to the end of the story. So many times we face situations that feel like a period. The period is that end of that sentence. And we feel like my sentence has ended. My hope for what things were going to be like, whether it was the husband that left or the friend that betrayed you or the, 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 the person who got sick and succumbed to their illness, whatever we, we, we face, it feels at times like a period. But God has us remembering follow through. God has us remembering the grand scheme of things. And when we remember that, he's up to something. So even if right now in your career, you're facing a period today, if, if you've come to God's house with a heavy heart because you feel like there's something that's just final, just remember this about our God. He can make a way where there is no way. And I, I just encourage you to believe that even when you say it's, it's over, that for God, it's not over when it's over. It's not over even when it's three days past over. He waited till Lazarus had been dead and buried for several days. They said, there's no hope. By now he stinks. And he waited till he was good. He skipped the funeral. He could have got there when Lazarus was on his deathbed. He showed up when they said, there's no point even trying. In Jewish tradition, the soul hung above the body for a couple days. But then on the third day, the soul was gone. There's no hope. He had been dead and buried for the longest time. No one could even imagine it happening. Then he said, roll away the stone. So I wonder what period in your life he wants to say, roll away that stone. I'm going to call something brand new out of it. New potential, new calling, new opportunity, new relationship. Anything that God takes out of your life, it's because he's getting ready for something new. I dare you to believe it. You ever get that, that warning on your phone when you try to take a picture that you can't because it's full? It's dreaded. Have you ever missed out a great opportunity because of it? I got to go to Old Faithful for the first time, never been there before. And uh, they, they give you a little time on the plaque when it's going to erupt. Made me nervous. The entire thing just made me very nervous. <laughs> Everything about it. I'm like, we're standing on a live volcano, people. This is not a good plan. And you go in the visitor center, there's a giant sign that says, this is a volcano. I'm like, I'm going to go the opposite way. Why have I come here? But it doesn't matter if you want to run, you'll have to go very slowly because there's a billion RVs trying to take pictures of buffalo. Like, you're not getting away from this volcano fast is the idea. And, and, and so there's a sign that tells you the time, but then it says plus or minus 10 minutes. And I'm like, well, faithful is not quite that faithful, right? Plus or but then there was other geysers, and it was like, this one erupts at noon, plus or minus four hours. And I'm like, ain't nobody got time for that. You got to stand there for eight hours to see something that's not as great as old faithful go off? I don't think so. Anyhow, I, what was I saying? So, so the thing about it is that I was standing there, plus or minus 10 minutes meant I had a 20-minute window that I had to wait. So I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. I got my phone out, and I'm thinking, it could go off at any point. And what is it like when it goes? I was picturing the Bellagio. I was picturing there was going to be a soundtrack that's going to start or a maestro that comes out. I was picturing Mickey Mouse with a sorcerer's cap. Like I just, I was just sure there was going to be some, but, but I didn't know. I didn't know what it was going to be like. And I, I resisted the urge to Google it because if I Google it and watch the YouTube video, I'm like, well, I'm not going to spend the 20 minutes. I've seen it now. So, so I just was imagination and just full of, you know, bright eyed and just so excited about it. And, and for 20 minutes, I sat there with my phone in the video mode, in the slow-mo mode, and I thought it was going to be the brilliant idea to take a slow-mo of Old Faithful. Turns out water going up slowly is not that good. <laughs> so the slow-mo was terrible. But, but the, po the point is, my battery was running down. 
I got the 20% warning with 10 minutes to go. And I'm thinking, oh, this is not good. So I turn the brightness down. I turn the Wi-Fi off. I turn the Bluetooth off. I'm, it's as dim as possible. I'm not even sure if I'm in the right mode. And, and then, you know, the, the time comes. It's the time. Now it's 10 minutes past the time. Now I'm at 10%. It's going down. And I'm telling you, old faithful wasn't even faithful. It came two minutes after the 20-minute window. It was glorious and amazing. Let's praise God for old faithful because, dang, and there's water shooting on the ground. That's fantastic. But, but here... I, when I caught this thing, I had 4% left on my phone. The video ended, got in the vehicle, and my phone was off, man. I'm telling you, it was over. But that's not even the point. Um, the point is we can at times get our phones full of stuff. And in order to take something new, you have to get rid of something old. So maybe the period that you feel like you've come to is really just a pause so you can see some things deleted out of your life in order for God to make room for something new. Just look at what's been pruned, what's been taken as God putting a comma to get you ready for something brand new. Never put a Never put a period if God's got a comma there. I don't, know, I don't care how much it hurts right now. I'm speaking to somebody. I don't know who you are. But you just right now, you feel like it's never going to be like it was. And that's your period. And you're hanging on to that period. But see that it's a comma instead. And there's more words to come. There's more life to come. There's more fun to come. There's more dancing to come. There's more parties to come. There's more enjoyment of life to come as a part of his flock, as a guest at this Banquet. Second thing, you're not going to want to do this. Because God always saves the best for last, you don't need to chase what's supposed to chase you. You don't, you don't see it. Look at the text one more time. He says this, surely goodness and mercy shall be chased down by me. And that's not what it says, is it? It says they're going to follow me. They're going to follow me. In other words, I don't need to follow them. They're going to follow me. It's going to be the outcome of who I follow. It's not going to be the thing I follow. I'm afraid for a generation following opportunity, following increase, following connection, following networking, following fame, following, well, following these things that can be an outcome of the blessing of God on your life who invites you into his banqueting table in the presence of your enemies and pours out a blessing upon your cup and pours out his oil upon your head. The oil that then summons you into opportunity and the blessing on your cup that then speaks of a life of blessing that he can then overflow on top of your life because the very characteristic of blessing is always multiplication. But when we go chasing down and try to make the banquet happen, and we go chasing down and try and make the connection happen. I had a, I had a, a pastor call me up one day out of the blue. I didn't know him super good. And he just said, you know, we met at that conference, and you, you, were, you were nice enough to give me your email. I don't remember giving him my email. I don't know how he figured it out. But, but here's, 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 here's the interesting thing about this. What he said next was this. I love the way God is using you, and I would love for him to use me like that. Can you open some doors for me so I could speak at some of the places you've been speaking? Now, a little bit about me. My heart's desire is to open doors for people. My heart's desire, and I'll, I'll regularly, people say, who should I get to speak? I'll be like, oh, man, you should, uh, you, should, you should get this guy. I heard him speak. It blessed me like crazy. I'll come up with a list of some people I see in their heart, I see in their life, I see in their family. This is something that God should explore. I'd like to see the volume get louder on this person. That's my desire. That's my heart for sure. But to have someone call me 
and say, can you go speak well of me? Well, scripture puts it this way. Let another man praise you and not your own voice. None of us should ever see ourselves as, as our own PR agents. It is not our job to get our name out there. It is not our job to try and open doors or to try and get other people to open doors for us. Our job is to follow Jesus and to believe that he is going to call goodness and he's going to call mercy and he's going to be like, yo, follow him. Go anoint him. Bless him. He's, he's got the angel capability to, to, to trumpet anybody he wants to, to turn the volume up on anybody that he wants to. But let your work ethic speak for itself. Let your faithfulness speak for itself. Let your hustle speak for itself. Let your desire to follow Jesus be so clear and so passionate, so paramount and so obvious that people will crave what you have because it's so hot in your soul. If you would seek to be fervent in spirit to where you're instantly hot to where you're fired up for God I'm telling you people are going to want to hear from you but you're not going to need to run around with your business card shoving it we were on a tour recently and uh, the church that was supporting the event in the city had volunteered some vans to shuttle bands around and there was so many bands and semis. It was this tour had 10 different buses, four different semis, all shuttling production around the country. It's crazy. And, and so there are churches with just volunteer vans. And we got into this one van at a hotel. I can't remember what city we were in. And um, I just got a workout in the hotel workout area. And I was going back to the venue. And, and uh, one of the bands got in with us. And we sat in there and the sweet girl was driving. Said, hey, where are you from? I was talking to her a little bit. What's your name? And she, uh, she stops at a red light and she fiddles with her iPod and puts on a song and, and the little display indicator said artist 001 track 001.mp4 mix down or something like that. I was like, I've never heard of this band. That's interesting. <laughs> and she, she plays this song. The song was fine. And uh, I don't remember you know, much about it other than it was definitely not a song I'd ever heard before. So I, I, I said to her, I said, hey, who, who is this? She goes, oh, this is the band at my church. I said, oh, it's a band of your church. I said, who's the one singing on it? She goes, oh, that's me. This is my solo coming up. And she turns it up. <laughs> and then she grabs a business card out of the cup holder and says, here's a uh, QR code you can scan to get it in case you guys are looking for more bands for the next tour. And I was like, well, thanks for the ride. And all I could think is, listen, if she would just be willing to sing her heart out to God and keep being faithful where she's planning and doing what she's called to do, it wouldn't need to be such a thing of striving. I don't think there needs to be striving in it. I don't think the goal is to be known. I think our calling is to be faithful. I think we just need to make sure that God is pleased with us. If he's pleased with us in due time, he will exalt us. But if you try and open a door, let me tell you something. If God hasn't opened it, nobody's going to be able to open it for you. And if he wants to open a door for you, ain't nobody going to be able to stop him from exalting you. So what you got to just do is run your race looking unto Jesus. Because even if you do get to make it happen and achieve some level of fame or prominence or being known, let me tell you something, you will be able to come to a place where your gifts can, can take you to, 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 to heights where you haven't been able to acclimate properly. And it can kill you. If you got out of a helicopter on Mount Everest, you, you would last just a few seconds before you died. 
But if you do the slow work of going up a little bit and down a little bit, up a little bit and down a little bit, up and a little bit and down a little bit, the work with the Sherpas and all of that, the training, you can actually get to the top. But there's no helicopter shortcut to where God wants you to go. You just got to keep ascending. All right, there's a, there's a third thing. So, so, so don't, you don't want to put a period where God's going to come and got that. You don't want to chase what's supposed to chase you. Got it. All right, here, here's the thing, third thing you need to know. Don't ever underestimate your impact. Don't underestimate the impact that you can have on situations, on people, on circumstances. Look at the text one more time. It says in verse six, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Like that's the same thing we just looked at. Uh -uh. Follow's got more than one synonym. Follow's got, not synonym, but more than one meaning, right? Something can follow you if it's following you like it's trying to chase you. But something can also follow you if it comes sequentially after you. If you're speaking at a conference, the slot after you follows you, even though it's not chasing you. So I believe not only are goodness and mercy going to follow after us, meaning God's going to send them to chase us with almost a magnetic-like blessing, but I also believe that they follow sequentially anywhere you've been as you follow Jesus. So let me ask you a question. You woke up to a conversation. You speak for a little bit. You walk away. Did goodness and mercy follow you into that conversation? Is it there after you've left? You walk into a meeting. You walk into a, a gathering. Does faith follow you? Because that's kind of the idea here. I looked up some synonyms for goodness. Then I looked up some synonyms for the Hebrew word kesed, which is this word for mercy. And I was confused because they both kind of said the same thing. Both of them, I just grabbed a grab bag of the different words that I found on, on both of them. I had stuff like this, pleasant, charming, cheerful, loyal, full of favor. The best I can figure is goodness and mercy is meant to kind of be grabbed together as a sweet agreeableness. A sweet agreeableness. My question for you, is that how you roll? Is that the slot that comes after you when you've been into a room? Do you raise the degree of the sweet agreeableness of the moment, of the family, of the car ride, of the situation? Or is it a contentiousness? Is it a, well, I can't believe he would do this? Is it a gossipiness? Is it a, is it a dis destruction and the, we the weather's so bad and this is so, oh, well, I can't believe this happened. Is that the influence? Do you bring the shadow? Do you come into a situation with the subtlety of a truck backing up? Beep, 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 with something ready to come out of your dump truck? Or do you come in speaking life. Do you come in speaking faith? I'm telling you something. It's possible as you follow Jesus for there just to be such a vigor to your heart and such a love for people that's going on inside your soul that, that after you've been somewhere, the next act that people are feeling in your absence now is goodness and mercy. It's there wafting after you. They say of politicians many times that there's a, um, a magnetic trait to their personality. Doesn't matter who you are. I heard that about President Bill Clinton. Heard that about lots of different leaders. That this man, there's just something about it. There's a buzz you get from being around him. President Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, one day on January 1st, this was the brand new year. He decided to open up the White House to anybody in America that wanted to come shake his hand. On 1907, January 1st, he he shook 8,510 hands. It was the Guinness Book of World Records for most hands shaken in a single day, and it lasted for 70 years until some lunatic broke that record. Right. And get this, one person who shook his hand that day said this about him. 
You shake hands with Roosevelt and hear him talk, and then you go home to wring the personality out of your clothes. There was just a magnetic something about him. Apparently, he would grab you and say, delighted. And he would just have his teeth all flashing, and it's just the excitement and the charisma of the moment. Sometimes people would just say they shook his hand, and they almost like just felt like 10,000 volts of electricity were just passing through his hand. Well, I don't think that you want people to walk away from you going, man, his teeth were big, and he said something very strange. He had a catchphrase. I think there should just be a love to it. I think there should be a they care about me to it. I think they should, there should be a they notice me to it. I don't think our goal should be that they leave talking about us. I think they should leave talking and thinking maybe about him or even talking and thinking that you cared about them because so many people are just craving to be noticed, to be known, to be needed, to be loved, to be cared for. And we are the church and we are the hope of humanity. We've been given the spirit. We've been given the name above every name. We've been sent into the whole world. It's called the Great Commission. It's not the small commission. There's a whole world to reach. And we will never be a church that sees ourselves as a big church. Not with six billion people on this planet that need to be loved. We are the tiniest church, but we got a big heart. We got a big calling. We got a big vision. We got a big God. He saves the best for the end. He's done great things. He's going to do them still. That's why we're going to Jackson, Wyoming. That's why we're opening up in Butte, Montana. That's why we got to go to Great Falls. That's why we're not done in the Flathead Valley or the Bitterroot Valley or in Missoula. That's why we're not done in the Gallatin Valley or in Billings. That's why we're not done in the capital city of Helen or Salt Lake City, Utah. That's why we want to preach in Provo and bring the good news all over Utah. That's why we're not going to be done until all have heard, until hell is empty, until heaven's empty. Heaven, heaven's full. Oh, we're dead trying. Come on, somebody. I just dare you to believe that goodness and mercy should follow us. So good, do goodness and mercy to follow you when you drop your kids off at school? Goodness and mercy follow you in a traffic? Let's just believe that as we follow our shepherd, these good things are going to be the impact. This sweet agreeableness will, will, will be what people speak about us after we've left there. And let's pray that Jesus would help us to just boost the morale of situations. That, that, that we would, and I'm, I'm working on this, I'm, I'm praying for this, that, 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 that when we're in a situation, people would just be a tiny bit more encouraged than before just a little bit less inclined to quitting than before because they had a chance to, to have a moment with a Jesus follower who's a part of the Fresh Life house. All right, there's a fourth uh, thing we're not gonna wanna do. If, if he saves the best for the end, we're not ever gonna wanna mistake what's temporary for what's forever. Let's know the difference between temporary and forever. Because in verse six, apparently, after goodness and mercy follows us, which should be your whole life on this earth. Okay, so goodness and mercy follows you, then you get hit by a bus. I don't want that to happen to you. But goodness and mercy happens to you and everywhere you go, and then eventually you die, right? And what happens then? It's not the end of the road, it's a bend in the road. Well, David said it this way. Then, when I've finished being an agent of goodness and mercy for all my days, then I'm gonna dwell in God's house for the Lord forever. I live, I win. I die, I win. All I do is win, right? That's what happens when we follow Jesus. So, so get this, we go to the house of the Lord, which is heaven. So you need to remember what's the difference between temporary and what's the difference between forever. You gotta be able to sort them out because this world and all that is in it that you can touch, that you can buy, that you can sleep on, that you can drive, that you can wear, that you can, that you can enjoy, these blessings, they're, they're all wonderful, okay? 
They're to be had by us without having us. They will not last forever. Enjoy all the blessings. Don't be defined by them. Don't let them own you. Don't keep them to yourself. But remember, they're all temporary. Because we're going to leave the world, and then the world itself will be consumed before it's made new. A seed has to go into the ground and die before it can come out like it's supposed to. So this world is going to have a burial. This world's going to have a funeral and then ultimately a resurrection. All right? But what's forever is us in the house of the Lord. That's what's forever. You on this earth, you in Alabama, you in Kentucky, you in Montana, you in, you in California, that, that's temporary. But us in God's house is forever. And that's good news. That's good news. In fact, uh, the scripture puts it this way. This is, this is Paul speaking. He said this in, in Philippians chapter 3. He said, our homeland is heaven. So earth is not your home. You live here now on mission, a mission of goodness and a mission of mercy. Then your homeland is heaven. And look what Peter said of the permanence of our homeland, the permanence of our homeland. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mission we're on, mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's awesome. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. There's a heaven reserved for you. There's a home in heaven. It's reserved for you. You go into a restaurant. Can I sit here? No, no, that one's reserved. There's a place in heaven reserved for you. The earth is going to fade away. Your life on it. Enjoy it. Don't be defined by it. It's going to fade away. Your life in heaven is forever. So don't mistake what's temporary, a mission of goodness and mercy, enjoying blessings, not being defined by them, but being a blessing to others in the midst of them. That's temporary, but heaven is forever, okay? Now that we're clear on the difference between those two, let's make sure we jump into our last point with that in our hearts, all right? The last point is this. Don't wait till you're dead to enjoy being in the family. Don't wait till you're dead to enjoy being in the family. There's some tension that we need to acknowledge. The tension is this. Heaven is supposedly our house. David said, I'm going to leave this world and I'm going to go to your house. Our, our home in heaven is the Father's house. Didn't Jesus say that in John chapter 14? He said, he said don't be worried. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I love that he, he prefaced it with this, don't worry, this is true. Don't worry, this is true. Because we can see this world, we can't see that one. But don't worry, this is true. And we never need to worry because he said assuredly. We never need to worry because Psalm 23, 6 says surely. Surely, okay? In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, he said, prepare this place for you. I will come again, get you, bring you to myself. Some of us are gonna go because we're gonna die. He's gonna send angels to grab our souls and bring us there. Some of us are gonna go when he comes back and brings us straight there without us ever having to taste death. Who knows which of us of all Christians who live ever are gonna be of those two, but that's gonna be one of us, all right? Well, what's the tension? Well, here's the tension. If heaven is God's home that we're gonna get to go to when we leave this world, why in scripture is the church called God's house? If we're already in it, we well, know we're not. We're not in it. We're going home. Our homeland's in heaven. Our citizenship's in heaven. Keep your mindset in heaven. Know the difference, temporary and eternal. 
why does scripture confuse the issue by describing the church as God's house? Because it does. My favorite is in Ephesians chapter two, where Paul says, you're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here. Come on, take a second and celebrate that he wants you in his house. He pours your cup overflowing and keeps on pouring, never wanting you to say when, always wanting you to receive so he'll keep pouring out. You belong here. Come on, turn to your neighbor, shove him, say, you belong here. Now your other neighbor on the other side, you belong here. You are welcome in this home. You are welcome in this house. We're glad to have you. We want you. We welcome you. We celebrate you. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. Did you get saved 10 seconds ago? Were you out partying last night? Doesn't matter, you, you have as much right as anybody because it's about the blood of Jesus. It's not what we did. God is building a home. He's using us all in what he is building. The apostles, the apostles and prophets, they were the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. So heaven is our home, but he just said it, the church is our home. How, how do we sort this out? Simple, God's got two houses, he's rich. God's got two houses, he's rich. Now, now here, here, you laugh, but I mean it. Now, if, if that was true of you, you might have one that you live in, you say, that's where I live. And what about the other one? You say, well, that's my vacation house. Not so with God. One's his home, the other's an investment property. And what did he invest in it? The precious blood of Jesus, his son. You, my friend Louis Giglio says, are worth Jesus to God. When he was thinking about saving you, when he was thinking about calling you out of death and addiction and depression and misery and anxiety, he did not hold back, but he paid the blood of his son. He gave up his son to save you. You're worth Jesus to God. You're an investment property. He bought you because he loves you. He bought you because he wants you. He bought you because he's got a plan for your life. Come on, take a second and celebrate if you believe that God loves you enough to send his son to die for you. Now you understand why God's so sad when Christians don't go to church. I was telling Olivia about the sermon when God gave it to me. And, um, and when I saw this in the text, and I told her, I said, imagine, honey, imagine you were gonna go to school in Denver. And so you, you packed up your bags and I'm crying already. And uh, you're going to go to school in Denver. And imagine if I had thought about investing in gold or investing in this or investing in baklava, I don't know, <laughs> bustling honey and walnut enterprise or whatever. And so I, I decided, no, 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 I'm gonna get an investment property, but I'm gonna buy it in Denver. I'm gonna get a home in Denver. I'm gonna buy it, I'm gonna hope that eventually, you know, as the neighborhood goes through gentrification and becomes more valuable, eventually maybe one day I'll sell it and, you know, retire and preach for free, right? And so I bought this house in Denver and you went to school in Denver and I could lease it to somebody or put it on our Airbnb side or whatever, but my daughter's going there. And as a daughter of the house, she has as much right to anything in the house as anybody of the house. If I have it, she has it. If it's mine, it's hers. And so I said, honey, 
you, you're going to school in Denver. You should, you should live there. What if she said, nah, I'm going to make my own way in this life. I'm going to get me an apartment. I'm going to get me a job. And I'm going to have to figure out school and work and all this around. And, I'm, and how would I feel? I got a house in Denver. It's just sitting right there. It's, it's just for you and for kingdom. I'd be so sad because it would just be unnecessarily expensive and difficult for her to not have that place, a home away from home for her to be until she got to her true home. And I feel like that's what God thinks about when we are Christians saved by the blood of Jesus, but not a part of the local church. And that's why Paul or whoever wrote Hebrews said this, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, the meeting of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. Jesus, yes, church, no, or I love Jesus, but I got burned by a local church or this happened or a church full of hypocrites. So, but he says, don't do that. Let's encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Let me tell you something. Heaven is your home, but the church is your home away from home. God intends for you to be encouraged here. He intends for you to be mobilized here. He intends for you to be deployed here, transformed here, encouraged here, held accountable here, be resourced here so you can go out into the world and love Jesus and live and spend and be spent. You need a safe place. You need a harbor. You need a port in the storm. You need a refuge. You need a people to be gathered with, to worship Jesus together, to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself, to pour your treasure in, to pour your time in, to pour your life out for. His investment property, the local church. This Fresh Life House is our expression of it that we get to be a part of. And we love it because of what it's able to do as God works through his people, through his spirit, pointing to his son. And David got that. And that's why David didn't just say, when I die, I'm gonna dwell in God's house forever. He also said in Psalm 27, look at verse four. He said, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. David knew what you need to know, and that's that God doesn't want to just bring your soul to heaven. He wants to bring heaven to your soul. He wants you to stay planted and keep your mind on forever. To stay planted and keep your mind on forever. Keep your heart on forever, because forever is coming and forever is now. Come on, worship Jesus. Let's stay planted and keep our hearts on forever. Thank you so much for joining us for this teaching in the Rock and Soul series. I love that we're learning about the outer stability that comes from inner tranquility. And if at any time during this teaching you made a decision to accept Jesus, congratulations, that's the best decision that you'll ever make and we're so excited for you. Now we would love to send you a Bible in the mail and you can receive that by filling out a form by clicking the No God button on our website or you can text the word Fresh Life all one word with no spaces to 99,000 and we'd love to get that Bible in the mail for you. And if you'd like to partner with us above and beyond your tie to your local church, there are several ways that you can do that. You can text the word FRESH to 45777 or you can click the Give button at freshlife.church or give through the Fresh Life app. Now finally, if what God is doing at Fresh Life Church has impacted you in any way, we'd love to hear from you. You can email your story into us by emailing story at freshlife.church or you can click Know God on our website and then click the Share Your Story button and share with us that way. That's fuel for our fire and we love hearing from you. Thank you again for joining us for the Rock and Soul series.